Um, as many of you know, if you don't know, I'm Pastor Yasmin, and I'm a mom. Um, I know I'm a pastor and a wife, but I'm a mom. And I'm going to show you some pictures of my four amazing children when they were younger and then what they look like currently. But not only am I surrounded by these amazing children, I actually have 20 nieces and nephews. So I'm an aunt to 20 other children, as well as all of the youth, all of the kids, all of them, and this church that blesses me each and every day. So I'm surrounded with gifts from these children. It's amazing. So on this slide, you're going to get to know my kids a little bit more. So when Paige was little, which is the first one, um, I guess it would be to your left. Paige and Bailey are sitting there. She had an imaginary friend named Yoda. And what's funny about that is she'd never seen Star Wars, nor had I. Um, I don't even know if it looked like Yoda, but she called him Yoda. And Yoda got her in all types of trouble. Yoda cut her hair. Yoda wrecked her toys. Yoda made eggs on the kitchen floor one morning for breakfast. And Yoda even tied her up in our basement. And I'm still trying to figure this one out because she screamed for my name like, like she'd been tied up and could not come loose. And it was just her. But apparently, Yoda did it. I still have yet to figure that one out. But amongst all the trouble, and that was very little trouble in the scheme of things, she was this amazing kid. She always did everything at the right time without me having to tell her anything. She just naturally grew up and did everything in the right timing. Even when she was a baby, the very first night I brought her from home from the hospital, I was actually worried about her because she slept through the entire night. And she was just, she spoiled me. Absolutely spoiled me. And on the weekends, on Saturdays, we had this special time together. So back then, you, I couldn't pay my bills online. I didn't drive. So I would take the bus on Saturdays. It was a whole day event. And we would go and pay all of my bills. And we'd go and get groceries. And then I would buy or rent the newest Disney movie. Whether you like Disney or not, it's not the point. <laughs> um, we had special time together. It's just the two of us. And still to this day, I think that's why she likes Disney so much, is it just has this emotional connection to me and her uh, spending that time together. But then Bailey was born. And she didn't do anything when she was supposed to do it. <laughs> she was a little bit trickier. Um, this kid, she liked to sneak out of her bed in the middle of the night and go and get a block of cheese, like a whole block of cheese. She would sit on the couch, turn the TV on at 3 in the morning, and eat a block of cheese. And I would get up, and I would see her sitting on this couch, and I would be like, what are you doing? And she'd throw the block of cheese behind the couch and pretend to sleep. Like, as if she'd been doing that the whole time. So, anyways, but what I will tell you about this little girl is at the age of 3, she could hold an adult conversation. She befriended our neighbors that I'd never even met. She chatted up, chats up anyone that we pass or that we encounter. And this awesome positive attitude, silliness, and loving heart is why she gets along so well with everybody. And then the boys entered the world. 
It's hard for me to separate James and George because they're only a year apart. So I don't think I need to go into a lot of stories, but I have two boys that are only a year apart. Holes in walls, many fights all the time. That, was, that is still currently my life. But James is so creative. And he was helping serve communion today. And he can spend hours crafting and drawing and building projects with his dad. And now he's so interested in drums and it makes him so happy. And the other day I had this awesome moment with him. He was having a really hard, work, a hard week at school. And he was falling behind and he had other things going on. So he went aside and we prayed together. And we just prayed to keep him on focus and to bring his, ba- his mind back to God every time he got distracted. We finished praying, and as he's about to fall asleep, he says, so are you telling me that God can give me a super brain? I'm like, sure. Yeah, he could probably do that. And we laughed or whatever, and we went to bed. And then the next morning, we go to school. The day's over. I go and pick them up after school. He comes running to the car, and he's so excited, like he's got a smile from ear to ear, which only happens after drum lessons. So this is rare. And says, Mom, God gave me a super brain today. Because he'd finish his projects today. And I was so proud in that moment because he gave God the glory. You know, it's not just about him finishing school and the grades he gets and the job he gets. It was this recognition that God could help him that meant so much to me. Um, And then there's George. Um, George is a lot of work. Um... He also gets me to my very soul, like most people don't. So it's good and bad, because he can hurt me the deepest, but he can change my whole day with one hug. One hug is all it takes. He's strong, he loves gymnastics, he cares about body and fashion, he has this heart that he's And Good or bad, whatever he's doing, he asks for prayer. He actually, when he's fighting with me, will tell me that it's my fault because I'm not praying hard enough. So, I mean, everything he does comes down to prayer. It's like, well, Mom, you didn't pray for that, so it's not going to happen. But he is, he's always had this thing for the Bible, and I'm not just saying about reading it. Like, he just likes to touch it and, like, flick the pages. He always has. He just sits in his room, and he just flicks the pages. And the other day he was worshiping in here, and he really wanted me to tell you guys this, because he sees visions, George, um, quite often, and he thinks a lot deeper than anyone ever gives him credit for. And he was worshiping, and for the first time he rose his hands. And he hadn't done that before. And he said to me, Mom, I see a rainbow. And I said, you do? He goes, God's just reminding me of his promise all over again. That's my George. That's what I'm proud about. You know, it doesn't always come down to the work and the instruments and the activities. Sometimes it's about those special moments. So many of us today will look at children, whether you're a grandparent or you're a parent or an aunt and uncle, whatever you are, and the saying is, is that if they aren't a lump in your throat, so you're stressed out and worried all the time, they're a pain in your neck. But the fact of the matter is, the Bible tells us something very different about children than what society shows. They're a heritage. They're quite literally a gift from God. If you read in Proverbs 
127 verse 3, you will see children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him. A gift that we're supposed to use and we're supposed to enjoy. We should find great joy in blessing and in family. So before I go into our verse that we're going to spend time in today, there's a few things that I want to say. It's never too late. Did you hear that? It's never too late and it's never too early to start to adapt biblical principles in your parenting. And watch God bring about growth and fruit. And some of you need to hear that today, friends, because I would have felt convicted 10 years ago. It's never, ever too late. And it's never too early. And many of us who've been around the church for a long time, this verse is going to sound familiar. It's like that familiar tune. You can hum, you can sing along, you know the words, but you've never actually thought about the meaning. This proverb that we're going to look at can truly transform your family and any kids that surround you. And I can truly say that it has the potential of changing the course of your life. So some more background about Proverbs, where you need to be careful. When we read Proverbs, we need to realize this. These are not iron-clad promises. These are not absolute guarantees. These are statements about the general course of life. I say that because some of us will read this, think it's an ironclad promise, and say, if I do A, B, C, and D, everything's going to be okay. But most of us in this room will know that it doesn't really work that way. We know a lot of people who have been very godly in their parenting and done all the things that they think that they're supposed to do, and their children still go a different way. And then there's another way that this verse should never be used. And that's as a sword. Because there's these godly parents who have tried hard. And have prayed and invested in their children. And then their children rebel against their parents, against God. And their parents are left heartbroken. And then a bunch of people, usually Christians like to hammer them down and beat them down about their prodigal sons and daughters that they're grieving. And this is not the way that this verse is meant to read. Nobody here is a perfect parent, and nobody here has a perfect parent. Do not beat yourself up. If your child still can breathe, you have time. Did you hear that? If your child still has breath... You have time. I would have been voted the least likely when I was a teenager to ever become a follower of Christ. And I do not condone my past, but it's the truth. It's just that simple. And now I stand before you. I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so does my family. And I don't say that to boast. I say that to give you hope. Because the prodigal sons and daughters can return home. They truly, truly can. So there's hope if that's where you're currently at. So now that you know that this is not a promise to good parents or to godly parents, but a responsibility to train your children in the way that they should go. So let's read the verse. Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way that he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. 
So I'm going to talk about two things with this verse. First, the how, and then the what's. Because before you get to what you're doing in the household, I think you need to know where your heart should be, how to do it. So I'm just going to start with three quick hows. The very first one is we need to train in love. This might sound obvious, but hear the words of Billy Graham. Love your children and let them know that you love them. Children who experience love find it far more easier to believe that God loves them. Did you hear that? Children that experience love find it far easier to believe that God loves them. Love should be the thread that runs through all your parenting decisions, your discipline, your actions. Children should know you love them, not something that you expect that they know. It needs to be vocalized. It needs to be demonstrated. With my kids, when they were younger, for Paige, it was, I love you to the, or I love you for always, I love you for, no, wait. I love you for always. Thanks, Paige. And then for Bailey, it was, I love you to the moon and back. And currently for James, because he's into Toy Story, it's I love you to infinity and beyond. And with George, he loves superheroes, so it's I love you 3,000. I just meet them wherever they are to show them that I love them. Slide two. We need to pair this with encouragement. And so since we're talking pairs, I went with Ruth Graham at the end of one of her journal entries. And it says, Dear Journal, let it, nev never let a single day pass without me saying an encouraging word to each of my children. More people fail of lack of encouragement than from any other reason. We say a lot of things to our kids, directly and indirectly, and we need to make sure that we're encouraging them. The Bible actually calls us as human beings to be people of encouragement. In 1 Thessalonians, it says, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up. And I want you to understand something. It's true. Kids do have self-esteem issues. That's, that's the truth. It's the, it's the world. They worry about their weight and their age and their education and the sports and the way they're going to perform and their friendships and their peers and screen time or no screen time. Do we really think that we need to be adding to the list? They need to be encouraged. And I'm telling you, from working with some of your kids and your youth, as well as my own, is they long for it. They're thirsty to hear and be encouraged in what God is saying about them and who they are. This is something we should be wanting to do with our kids. So we need to train in love, and we need to train in encouragement. And the third one, which is sometimes the hardest, depending how many children you have, is patience. This is what I read online. We need a lot of patience. Actually, human beings in general are high maintenance. But as a parent, it says that these are your duties. A cook a housekeeper, a doctor, a teacher, a handyman, a security guard, a janitor, a supervisor, a coordinator, a manager, a secretary, a nutritionist, a caretaker, a personal assistant, a bookkeeper, a taxi driver, a motivational speaker, a pastor, and you don't get holiday pay or sick pay. You don't get days off, and you're on call 24 hours, seven days a week. Somebody in here needs patience. Patience. 
right? Like I do, that's, that's a lot of responsibility. But if we're constantly fighting with our kids and complaining about how they're, disobedient, how they're being disobedient or their dirty rooms or their bad odor or their loose lips or their attitude, you're going to end up bitter against your children. And there should never be a war between children and parents. All kids are different. God is patient with us, so we need to reflect God in our parenting and be patient with them. So if you're not a parent, this is the part you want to tune into because you may have stopped listening, thinking, oh, it doesn't apply to me. But just listen to what this verse doesn't say. It does not say parents. It doesn't say mom. It doesn't say dad. And there's plenty of scriptures that do have commands to mothers and to fathers, but this one does not. It's a general proverb speaking to all people. So the fact of the matter is, every single one in the room here today should be asking themselves today and daily, are you doing all that you can be doing to encourage the children that God has surrounded you with? Parents, teachers, grandparents, uncles, aunts, sisters, brothers, friends, church body. There is no one here that's excluded. There is nobody here who doesn't have an opportunity to have influence in a child's life, whether that's through the child or maybe even through the parents. This church, I believe, the church is called to this, to be encouraging children. And many of us come to church, we talk to our friends, we have an awesome time, but we're forgetting all of those unseen influences that are down below here, who are our future generation. Or the teenagers that are all lumped together talking. We're forgetting about those people. And I want to challenge you today. This might be hard to hear. Do you know the children in our church? Did you know the names of my children before I put them on the screen? We had six babies at the neighborhood church born in just a couple weeks. This is so exciting. We're all called to be there for these children, for these parents. So I want to challenge you to start to talk to them to go down to eye level with them or invest in their parents. Give them a high five. Give them a fist pump. Do whatever it takes to interact with them so they know that they're surrounded by people who love them. Encourage their parents if kids isn't your thing. Encourage their parents. People have spoken into my life so many times with parenting that have gone through things that I couldn't even imagine I was going to go through. Invest in those parents. So the point I'm trying to make there is you're probably very familiar with this African proverb that says it takes a whole village to raise a child. I truly, truly believe that. And yes, the primary responsibility is on you. But how much more flavored will this child be if we're all invested in them, that we're all praying for them? Train up a child in the way that they should go. So, we talked about the hows. Now we're going to talk about the whats. 
And these what's are not just for parents. As a Christian, these are things that we should be doing in our home. Because you know what? The best way to lead is always by example. So the very first one is prayer. And I need you to understand something about prayer because I know we hear prayer meetings and prayer times and we pray before services and after service. But to a Christian, it's the very life breath of Christianity. Okay? It's like living without breathing. Prayer should be embedded into your very soul. We read in Acts chapter 9 when Saul, who becomes the Apostle Paul, became a Christian. We are told when God sent his minister to Saul the first day of his new faith in Christ, he said, you are going to find him in a room praying. Because that was the first thing that Paul did when he became a believer. Think about that. Prayer was this distinguishing mark of God's people in the beginning of the Bible. In the book of Genesis, when there was a separation between God's people and the world, it says men began to call upon the name of the Lord. Before your children can worship, before your children can read the Bible, before your children can learn deep depths of God, your children can pray. It's the first thing any of us can do to new faith. When you first come to faith, I remember mine clear as day. I had no clue what I was going to do. But I prayed and I read a kid's Bible. That's what I did. I wanted to understand it. I wanted to speak to my kids about it. Those were the two things that I knew that I could do is pray. So maybe you don't know how to teach this. Maybe you don't have this in your household. Matthew 6 shows us an example of how to pray. Jesus shows us how to pray. I'm going to shorten it to give you a tool to go home with today to help you in your daily life. And it's with an acronym, PRAY. So the first thing I encourage you to do is praise. Ask your children every day. Ask yourself every day, what are you thankful for? Give thanks unto the Lord for he is good. Ask them every day, what are you thankful for just today? I read this on Facebook one time when it had this, you know, like a verse or not a verse, just a quote. And it said, what if you woke up tomorrow and only got what you said you were thankful for the night before? Like, it kind of blew my mind. How many things I don't thank him for. And then our repentance. So what sins do you need to ask forgiveness for today? And parents, you can be such a blessing if you're honest with your kids and you confess yours as well. And the closeness of the relationship that comes from doing this. A, ask, what do we want to ask God in prayer today? Is anyone sick? Do you need help? What are your struggles? What are we going through? You just ask. You pray. Then the last one, yield. We say, your will be done as it is in heaven. Let them give out these wants, these fears. And don't use a high expression. Don't use fancy church talk. Speak from the heart. Fancy church talk, there's nothing wrong with that. But kids don't get it. And it's why it's so hard for them to stand up here and pray. Let them speak from the heart. That's Christianity. A quote from J.C. Riley said this about prayer. 
When there is much private communion with God, their soul will grow like the grass after the rain. Show me a growing Christian, a going forward Christian, a strong Christian, a flourishing Christian, and sure am I, he is the one that tells Jesus everything. Model this to your kids. Model this to your friends, to your family. Pray before you eat. Pray when you wake up. Pray when you go to bed. Pray, pray, pray. God will hear your children. You can do this together. I had the honor of going to Sonia's funeral uh, in November, Sonia's dad's funeral. And he was such a man of God. It, it was incredible to even be there. Um, and prayer was embedded in his soul. Like he lost his memory. So often he wouldn't know who was in the room or who he was. And the last day, his, her, her brother came in to see him. And he didn't know it was his son. But he blessed him and he prayed for him. This man didn't know it was his son. He wasn't there mentally. But spiritually, prayer was embedded in his soul. Like, wow. And the second one is God's word. Reading stories, devotion time. You cannot make your kids love the Bible, but the Holy Spirit can help them understand it. Your job is to direct them to it. The Holy Spirit will do that work. They just need to know the truth and be grounded in it. So that they're not going to be carried by every whim that comes in and out of the world. They're going to stand firm. And let's be honest. And this is a harsh one. Your kids are only going to take the Bible as seriously as you're taking it. You know, and that's hard sometimes. Like, sometimes it's just because my kids don't see me read it. You know, like, it needs to be visible sometimes. They're going to do what they see, right? It's just natural. The psalmist writes in 138, there are two things that God exalts over all. His name and his word. So I look to the word and I look to Jesus. And in Luke 2.40, it says, Jesus grew up healthy and strong. He was filled with wisdom and God's favor was on him. Well, what does wisdom look like? What kind of wisdom are we trying to teach our children? Well, wisdom means looking at life from God's perspective. Seeing life from the way that God looks at it, not from what we're facing or what they're facing or where we're facing it, not that perspective, but teaching our friends, our family, our children to see life from God's vantage point because then you're looking at it through God's eyes. And how do you get God's eyes? Through his word. It's that simple. That's how we try to learn about God. We learn the heart of God. We see through the way that he's looking at things. The world is telling us to do things a lot differently than God is. Right? The world might tell you to climb up, climb up, climb up over top of absolutely anyone to get what you want. Just get all that you can. The world might be saying, do what you want to do. Have fun. It's not going to hurt anybody. That's the world's perspective. But God says to be humble. He says to give. He says to go to the back of the line and to die to yourself. When God, God does the opposite almost of what the world is trying to tell us to do. Because when the world says to go up, God says to go down. 
When the world says to be first, God says to be last. When the world says live, have fun, do whatever you want, God says die to your flesh. If you go up, the world has this funny way of bringing you down. And if you just keep getting and getting and getting, the world has a way of taking it all away. But God says, if you humble yourself and go down in due season, he will elevate and lift you up. And when God lifts you up, no one is going to bring you down. That's the type of wisdom that we need in here and that we need to be teaching our children. So how can you do this? How can you do this? What are other ways? You can't just read scriptures for them to totally understand. You need to go into the stories. You need to explain them. Many of these kids in the room right here, you're very familiar with Daniel in the lion's den, right? We've done this upstairs. We've done this with Kids Church. Well, you could read stories like that where this man is challenged to compromise his convictions and his beliefs, told to quit, but he stands firm in what he believes. And Daniel is going to be punished for holding those convictions and gets thrown into that lion's den. But God supernaturally protects him. Supernaturally protects him, and Daniel is not harmed. That's how you teach children God's wisdom. Don't compromise. Stand firm in what you believe in. In due season, God will protect them and guide them and fight their battles for them. So I'm going to invite two people to come up and chat. Shannon and Rachel are going to come join us. Because today is not just about me telling you all what to do. I want you to go home with practical tools to start using with either your kids or maybe even just with yourself. You guys can have a seat. Um, There's lots of chairs here we didn't need. Um, So... Shannon and Rachel both have children mother and daughter. And so I'm going to ask them what they're currently doing in their home or what they've had done in their home, just to give you more ideas of what you can be doing and the impact that it had. Okay? So I'm going to ask you and then Rachel. Well, everything that she's speaking about is the absolute truth. And uh, I wasn't always perfect at how I went about doing this, but... uh, I did my best, and uh, when I was raising my daughter plus my stepdaughter, there was challenges. And had I not sought God and uh, looked to him, I would never have made it because it was, it was a challenging time, and, and today it's a challenging time. Uh, when I stick, watch my, my grandchildren in society the way we live today, and I encourage, I encourage my daughter uh, to pray to God to seek God for all, for all things. And I've seen his hand upon my daughter. I've seen his hand upon her when she was a teenager. She went through, she's got a story to tell. And one day I'm, I'm hoping she shares it because it was, it's a powerful story of what she went in her life and how God, through many times, many nights, I was called, I was awakened by the Lord to pray for my daughter. And I had, when she was young, I had to ask her to leave the house because at that time, there was difficult things going on, and she wasn't listening, and I just had to let her go. And that was the hardest thing as a parent I ever had to do. And I spent many hours crying to God 
and praying that he would keep his hand upon her. And when she shares some of the things that she went through, I, I know why God awoken me many times at night to pray for my daughter. And then I've got four beautiful grandchildren. And yeah, I, I pray a lot for my grandchildren. And in the mornings when I'm with them, I pray with them. And I've seen the heart of my grandchildren. There's times where three of them, it's like sitting in a room with ants because they can't sit still. But then there's times where their heart, I see their heart when they're praying. And that, that, that's what's important to me is to be praying for our children because they need, as parents, as grandparents, they need to see us doing this. And they need to see us to come alongside them. And it, it, it is a challenge. There's, there's many challenges, but there's such a reward at the end of that. Because I remember one time sitting in this church, and it was the Holy Spirit was telling me to look over. And I looked over, and I saw my daughter sitting there. And I took that for granted. And I turned around, I looked forward again, and he said, look over. And I looked over, and I just started weeping because my daughter was in church. She, gave, she came back to the Lord, and I, I'm so thankful for that. So we never can give up on our kids. we gotta, we got to be that example to them, and I encourage all of you to have that altar in your home with your children, to teach them the Word of God, and, and to be praying for your family always, because that is very important. And I don't know what my daughter wants to say. <laughs> I was not prepared for this at all. Um, I don't know what to say. Do you want to tell me, because I know I talk to your kids a lot, um, what you're doing in your home as a tool to share with them? Because your kids often talk about the app that you guys use and stuff like that. Like, what are you doing to bring the word and prayer into the grandkids' lives now? Well, all my kids are so different. Um, like my mom said, they're ants. <laughs> they don't sit still. They don't. E Sometimes I don't even have time to, like, read a story with them. It's different when mom's around because she they listen to her more. But um, there was right now media where there's Bible studies that you can do with any age group. So that's more so a me and Aaliyah thing. Mm -hmm. Me and Isabella have a different time at night. When I'm putting her to bed, I have a children's devotion. So that's what we do. Mm -hmm. um, Akeem, too, doesn't sit still, so we just pray. But I just, if I didn't have mom, mm -hmm. who led by example, I wouldn't be doing this with my kids. And prayer helps. Worship. I play worship music in my home all the time, as did my mom, and that helps all situations. Um, I notice when my kids are struggling or acting out, the second I put worship music on, sometimes it gets worse, because it's like, I don't know if it's the devil trying to make me turn it off and just get mad, but I continue to play it, and everything goes calm. So... Yeah, that's that. Awesome. Thank you, guys. You guys can go have a seat. Give them a round of applause. Um, what I love that Rachel just said, that I didn't have at any of the other interviews on Saturday or this morning in Martinsville, was that she did it differently for each child. Like, she's meeting them where they're at to bring them the word of God or prayer. Wherever that is, what works for one kid isn't going to work for another. And I know that from my children as well.
So my very last point that I think is important uh, to end with is grace. You know, this word gets used a lot. It's people's names, it's dogs' names, it's the grace of God. We hear it all the time. But when you truly get and feel that grace, I mean, it's amazing. And I think more than anything in our parenting, we need grace for our children. We need grace for one another. We need to operate drenched in it, soaked in it, saturated in it. Like it's overflowing with grace. And grace is God's empowering presence. It's, it's the way that you can help forgive others. It's the way that you can help, or not help, the way you love others. Otherwise, we're just all really annoying to one of another. <laughs> like, it just comes down to it, right? Like, we all have different quirks and different things. But grace helps you to do what you're supposed to do and be who you're supposed to be. And I'm telling you, I need grace to parent my children. I need grace to love my husband. I need grace to do every single thing that I do. It's grace. So I'm going to end with a scripture that's not in Proverbs. In Ephesians 5.1. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children, Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. I'm closing with this because I don't think it's just about the steps and the checklist of what you do in your life. It's truly about being a doer of the word, the actions that you um, are living out, the consistency. You can't be one way here on Sunday morning and Sunday afternoon be a completely different person, right? Your kids need to see this consistency. And this verse is asking us to imitate God. Like, that's a weighty, weighty command. Like, just think about how holy he is, how he loves and forgives and his grace. Like, this is hard. This is really hard. And it actually makes me think of my children and the reason why is because Paige gets told to this day that she still sounds like me. My mom can call the house, and she can talk to Paige for 20 minutes before she would realize that it was me. Her voice was like me. When she was really little, she was like my mini-me, people called her, right? Because she looked just like me when she was little. Even people who adopt or foster children for lengths of time, they start to talk like them. They have facial expressions like them. Why do you think that that is? Because I spend a lot of time with her. She came from me. There's a lot of reasons that she looks like me and that she acts like me, but the closeness of the relationship is reflected in who she is. And God's designed us to have that with him. Could you imagine if we were called mini-me's of God? That's what this is asking. When people look at us, that they see a reflection of who God is. If we reflected that in our home, in our workplace, um, at church, outside in the community, people would see who God is. It could rub off on them because you're spending time with them and they become like you who is like God. 
trying to live like God. Wouldn't that be amazing? And it's interesting because it says, because you are his dear children. See, I love that because that's me. And that's you. Like you are his child. Like I love mine, he only loves us even more. Take the person that you love the most in the entire world and times that by 3,000. He loves you that much and probably more to infinity and beyond. Beyond. 